0: This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher.
1: Great to have you with us as we're about to give you the top stories we have of this past week ending October the 29th. And at any time, if you have to go away, step away, and you can't finish the show and listening here, remember, you can catch up. It is available as a podcast at nwnewsradio.com. All right, let's get to some of the highlights just ahead in these stories that we're going to give to you here. The Vice President pays a visit to Seattle. Washington's Attorney General settles a chicken price fixing case. Also, a new read on what we might expect from COVID-19 in the months ahead. Again, all for the week ending October 29th. Let's now get you all caught up. We'll start with our own John Lobertini of Northwest News Radio as Vice President Kamala Harris wraps up a whirlwind trip to Seattle at a private fundraising event after talking about electric buses and election year politics.
2: Vice President Kamala Harris talked to this invitation-only crowd at Lumen Field about the need for cleaner energy around schools. We owe it to our children
3: to right now take these issues very seriously. The clock is ticking.
2: Surrounded by four electric school buses, Harris and EPA Administrator Michael Regan announced $1 billion in grants to electrify 95% of the school buses.
0: Not only are these pollutants harmful to the environment, but they're also harmful to people's health to the children who ride the bus, to the bus drivers.
2: Four school districts in Washington were awarded grants, including South Whidbey Island. School buses, the vice president noted, would be built in America.
3: During the height of the pandemic, we saw what it means when we don't have domestic manufacturing.
2: Another round of school bus grants totaling another $1 billion will be made available, we're told, in the coming months. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio.
1: Unaffiliated or independent voters could make the difference in the midterms this year. Rhonda Colvin had a story for The Washington Post and spoke with our listeners and shared this with Taylor Van Sice of Northwest News, asking questions.
4: How does the number of unaffiliated voters this year compare to previous elections, Rhonda, and why the rise?
3: Well, the presence of unaffiliated voters has been on the rise for a while, for a few decades, experts say. Um, a lot of it has to do with some of the rancor in our politics right now. Uh, it's certainly a divisive climate, and some voters just don't feel at home with that type of environment. It's also due the rise to unaffiliated voters is due to the fact that you have a lot of younger Americans signing up to vote. These are Gen Z, millennials, and they are a little distant from partisan politics. So uh, from decades before and increasingly now, you are seeing more people decide that they don't want to affiliate at all with either Democrats or Republicans when they register to vote.
4: Here in Washington state, we're very purple at the state level, federal level, obviously very blue, but very purple state level. But where in the country are these unaffiliated voters expected to have the greatest impact, the biggest swing momentum?
3: Well, two places I will be watching on the uh, election night is Nevada and also North Carolina. Uh, Nevada has seen a rise, a pretty significant one, over the last decade, where almost by 200 percent you have seen uh, the number of unaffiliated grow. Uh, this is could be due to some uh, new voter registration programs uh, there, but experts say it's already been on the rise before. You're just seeing it more in that state. So because Nevada has such a tight race when it comes to the U.S. Senate right now. It's going to be interesting to see where those folks in the middle vote and, and how uh, what number they come out in on election night. I'm also looking at North Carolina because for the first time in that state's history, back in March, the unaffiliated voter became the biggest voting block. There, So they beat out Democrats and Republicans. And according to an expert I spoke to, during the primary season, you did see the strength of unaffiliated voters, specifically in the race uh, where Representative Madison Cawthorn uh, was uh, not chosen to represent uh, his party's ticket. Um, he was defeated in that primary, and that is likely due because of so many unaffiliated voters were unhappy with him and decided to vote against him.
4: Finally, when you look at the the independents as a group, is there a cohesiveness you can find? I mean, if, if they're not lining up behind one or the other, are they lining up behind each other?
3: They, they aren't lining up with uh, either party, but um, in places like Nevada, you are seeing that they are finding a little bit of community. I interviewed uh, folks who say that they are nonpartisan, and they're finding a home within each other. Uh, what was interesting to me during this reporting is that they... They somewhat represent so many concerns. It's not just inflation, which is uh, a lot of what pollsters have been saying is going to be the driving issue this midterm. It certainly is a significant issue, but in talking to nonpartisans, I learned that there are other issues that they care about, education, uh, climate, abortion, of course. So it seems like they want, what they're driven by is to vote for people they feel uh, are going to do the best job right now, not necessarily what that person's party is.
4: And how does the old guard, the establishment Republican and Democratic Party leaders, respond? Well, you can find out more on that online at WashingtonPost.com from Rhonda Colvin. In the
1: 39th District in Snohomish and Skagit Counties, there is a concerted effort by Republicans to oust one of their own from the state legislature. Northwest News Radio's Jeff Poljula speaking with Paul Query at the Washington Observer about why the GOP has turned on state representative Robert Sutherland.
5: What's going on here in the 39th? Basically what you have... Going on here is sort of the smart money in Olympia is pretty tired of Robert Sutherland. And there's just been a lot of support for his opponent um, among kind of the moneyed players there. He had a fairly crowded primary in August. Um, he had Sam Lowe, who is a Snohomish County councilman from that area. And then I, think, I believe there were a couple of Democrats as well. Sutherland got about 33% of the vote. It's a heavily Republican district and Lowe advanced, uh, to face him. Lowe has far more money than he does because sort of the establishment players, um, kind of backed him and Sutherland was having difficulty raising money. And now we're seeing an independent campaign against Sutherland, It's specifically in opposition to reelecting Sutherland. It's called Do Not Rehire, I think. And that's money from the Realtors, the Service Employees International Union Local 775, which is one of the most politically active unions in Washington. Uh, the building trades are there, and the Washington Hospitality Association is there. These are groups that, for the most part, don't really work together and in some cases actively don't get along. And, you know, they're all kind of in against Sutherland and and for Sam Lowe.
6: So how did the Republican base really turn
5: on Representative Sutherland? What did he do? I think it was mostly that he was embracing these conspiracy theories about the 2020 election and traveling out of state to kind of participate in the national noise about that. And, you know, I think he missed a lot of votes in the last few years and and uh, wasn't there on some, uh, you know, for some key bills that some of these folks wanted.
6: But it seems like in the past with with other candidates embracing President Trump's claims that the election of 2020 was stolen would actually help Republican candidates for the most part. But this is sort of an interesting one where
5: it's worked against him. Yeah, and I think that th- that's active of some places elsewhere in the state where you have Republican districts and certainly a faction of the Republicans were supportive of President Trump and are believers in 2020 uh, stop the steal conspiracies. But a lot of the Republican voters out there don't feel that way. And there's still a kind of minority block of Democrats. And if you put those two, you know, the second two groups together, that's enough to oust some of these folks.
6: So if Sutherland is ousted and, and you have Lowe come in as the new Republican representative of the 39th, how does that change things?
5: Um, I think that what you have is just a kind of general shifting a little bit toward the center of that House Republican caucus. It's very unlikely at this point that the House Republicans are going to take over the majority. Um, but they, their caucus might be a little bit larger after the election. And if there are sort of fewer of those kinds of hard right lawmakers in the caucus, then, you know, might be a little more room for compromise, a little, you know, just a little more constructive dialogue. The other two lawmakers that attended
6: that My Pillow Symposium about the 2020 election and, and the false claims of election fraud were Brad Clippert and Vicki Kraft, neither of which are on the ballot this time around.
5: That's right. Um, they both uh, chose to run for Congress. Clippert ran in the fourth um, out in eastern Washington, and Kraft, who's from the Vancouver area, ran in the third in southwest Washington. And they
1: both lost in the primary. Quite. Quite badly, actually. Can you believe what you hear in political ads right now? ABC News political analyst Steve Roberts advises you to be
7: skeptical. There's no law that says you can't lie in a campaign ad. And there's no real mechanism for accountability apart from fact-checking by independent news organizations. But that's why people spend so much money on campaign ads, right? Because you, what do you buy? You buy total control over the frame of the ad. And Steve says even if an ad is
8: full of distortions, the impression has already been made and the truth never catches up with the
4: allegations. He says that's why billions of dollars continue to be spent on political ads each election cycle. Greg Herschelt, Northwest News Radio.
1: The chicken conspiracy and the praying coach comes back to Bremerton. Those stories just ahead in our next segment. As most local governments look for ways to increase revenue, the city of Linwood trying for a second time to repeal its car tab tax.
8: Last year, when the Linwood Council voted to drop the $40 fee, the mayor vetoed it, and that fee remained in place. Monday night, the council voted 4-2 to to once again repeal the car tab tax. This time, there's a new mayor who says she's not sure which way she's going to go. But last year, when Christine Frizzell was a council member, she voted to keep the tax. If she leans that way again this time, it takes five votes to override her. The council has four, and one member actually voted to abstain. So there is a chance. Council President George Hurst wants the tab tax gone because voters never approved it and says the city can cover the lost revenue from the general fund. Linwood's finance director wrote to the council saying it actually might not be that simple to cover this kind of shortfall and that road maintenance would be impacted. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio.
1: And there you go for just a fraction of the stories that we're sharing for the week of October 29th. Again, a way for you to catch up. I'm Mark Christopher. This is Northwest News This Week.
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week, and now Mark Christopher. Welcome back. Joe Kennedy,
1: the praying football coach, will return to his job at Bremerton High by March at the
9: latest. Attorneys for Kennedy and the district have finally come to agreement on terms of his return four months after the US Supreme Court said the Bremerton School District violated his religious freedom when they said he could not pray on the field after football games. Nobody should be forced to pray. Nobody should have to hide their prayers. It has been eight years since he was placed on leave for refusing to comply with the stop praying order. And Kennedy no longer lives here. He moved to Florida as the long legal battle wound through the courts but he'll be moving back to Kitsap County and, according to the Kitsap Sun, be reinstated to his position on or before March 15th, 2023. One final point of contention is the on-field prayer. The district says the parties disagree on the specifics of that. By November 8th, though, the two sides will have to come to agreement and file with the court that final wording. Thank God it's over. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
1: Thank you, Carlene. A pair of attorneys from the Inspector General's office at the Social Security Administration were put on leave. This after blowing the whistle on massive fines on disabled and poor elderly people. They were allowed to return to work, but say they continue to face backlash for speaking out. It was a story we found in the Washington Post.
4: Lisa, tell us first about the fines that these attorneys exposed.
10: So this is a story that we reported uh, back in May. Um, The inspector general's Office. Uh, basically has an anti-fraud program, because Social Security has two benefit programs for people with disabilities. And the program tries to find fraud in the system. And uh, these attorneys, uh, you know, discovered that in order to get the numbers up to show Congress that they were, um, you know, that they were going after people, they really inflated these penalties against people who were found to have had, who have to have taken benefits in excess of what they were allowed, but they were relatively small amounts of money, and they were not candidates for criminal prosecution. And so, the attorneys, you know, pointed out that they, the Inspector General's office, was levying these fines in the, you know, in hundreds of thousands of dollars against these people who had taken. Way, 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 way way less than that. Um, And then they really suffered, you know, uh, as a result. And how were
4: these concerns brought to their superiors? Because this is is the Inspector General's office at the Social Security Administration. This is kind of what they do. Whistleblowing is their their specialty, right?
10: That's right. So, you know, every federal agency has um, a watchdog division. And uh, these attorneys are, you know, basically were all intents and purposes anti-fraud you know investigators um, both of them were also manner or managers and they a new inspector general came in appointed by um, by former President Donald Trump and the attorneys told her look you know we've been charging these claimants these disabled claimants you know e- extensive penalties that don't feel appropriate and the attorneys you know went to the Uh, Inspector General, his name is Gail Annis. They said, look, we've got to look at these penalties. They're way, way too hard. They're not following due process. They're not following regulations that we should be following. And uh, they were told, look, we're not going to, you know, everything's fine. We're not going to review these cases. So they were both put on leave, uh, you know, paid leave, basically. One of them eventually was fired, and she was out for about 17 months. She filed a a claim, you know, uh, with a a small agency called the Merit Systems Protection Board. She was eventually reinstated. Um, The other attorney also filed a claim because she was demoted and some other bad things happened to her. So they're both now back at work, but they really have suffered, um, you know, from what happens to a lot of federal whistleblowers, and I think that's why we... We wrote this story, um, you know, because it's really hard to blow the whistle in the government and at private companies as well.
4: They certainly are not alone. And you detail that in your story online at WashingtonPost.com. You can also see response from the
1: Social Security Administration. Lisa Ryan with us on Northwest News Radio from The Washington Post. Thank you, Taylor. The Washington State Supreme Court hearing arguments this past week involving Value Village
2: donation centers. At issue, does Value Village misrepresent its mission in 14 stores across Washington? Lawyer James Grant.
5: The state admits we have made all the disclosures required under law, including those that say TVI is a for-profit commercial fundraiser on behalf of specific charities.
2: An appeals court agreed. There has to be a specific showing of a
9: deceptive act.
2: The justice is pushed for evidence of deceptive advertising. The state's Noah Purcell admits there's no consumer testimony, but there is intent.
11: And especially here, where the trial court actually found that TVI knew that its advertising was misleading consumers.
2: The state Supreme Court will decide whether to uphold the appeals court ruling in favor of Value Village or overturn the case. John Libertini, Northwest News Radio. So what about this so-called chicken
1: conspiracy? It turns out Washingtonians have been paying too much for chicken due to nationwide price fixing. A scheme indeed. Jeff Polgula with the story.
6: This started out as a federal antitrust investigation, but led to a multi-million dollar lawsuit from Washington and several other states. If You bought chicken in the recent past. You paid more for that chicken than you should have
0: because of the illegal conduct of all 19 of these companies, including Tyson, who's the focus of this resolution.
6: A Attorney General Bob Ferguson says the company will pay more than $10 million to settle the lawsuit, although litigation against other chicken companies is ongoing. He says the scheme to fix prices was going on for several years, and it involved 19 of the largest chicken producers in the country. Jeff Pogel and Northwest News Radio.
1: More updates in the past week as we're learning more from investigators about last month's seaplane crash in the waters near Whidbey Island killing 10 people.
12: The update from the National Transportation Safety Board says the connectors that hold parts together in the plane's horizontal stabilizer actuator were unthreaded and separated and that a locking ring meant to stop them from unthreading was not there when the parts were recovered. They still don't know if that locking ring was not present nor if it had been installed before the crash but the report says if the actuator separates the pilot could lose control of the aircraft it also says the parts had five drilled holes meant to accept the locking ring three of them damaged which means the ring wouldn't be installed securely the ntsb has said it could take anywhere from 12 to 24 months to get definitive answers on what caused the crash ryan harris northwest news radio hospital telehealth
1: how did it work for you during the pandemic doing everything online even for a checkup And how about a bonus for a booster? We'll get to those stories just ahead. A major budget forecast error may have caused several teachers to reconsider their futures with Seattle colleges. Brian Coward here of Northwest News saying it cost the school one of its chancellors.
8: When the projected shortfall of 17 million over a year ago was announced there was fear classes would be curtailed as was hiring and raises. Teachers are said to have reconsidered their futures and according to the time some actually left their jobs. Recently that 17 million in the red was revised down to 3 million. Wait. What? says Cody Hyatt of the professional staff union, who says his recent contract was very modest because of the shortfall. Annette Stouffer, president of the faculty union, says the revelation that the school system isn't in the dire financial straits it previously thought is shocking and dismaying. The fallout from the bad revenue forecast now includes the retirement of Seattle College's vice chancellor of finance and operations, who wrote in an email to staff he was leaving citing the importance of accountability and credibility. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio.
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week.
1: As we continue, local disease experts say a spike in COVID hospitalizations in Singapore shows a new subvariant spreading fast, but only among those with no past Omicron infection.
12: That new XBB subvariant appears to have left people recently infected with others from the Omicron family virtually untouched, says Dr. Christopher Murray with UW's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. It still, however, means that those
11: individuals and communities that have had low past Omicron infection, particularly BA5, are at risk for the surge. The other good news is that it doesn't seem to be more severe, if anything, slightly less severe.
12: Murray says they're also watching a recent surge in hospitalizations in Germany, likely due to the BQ1 and 1.1 subvariants, which they expect to spread through Europe. But he says until they learn more. We remain cautiously optimistic
11: that the winter will have more infections and we should see quite a few hospitalizations with COVID, but not so many due to COVID.
12: And that, Murray says, should apply not just to Europe, but the whole. Northern Hemisphere this winter. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Governor Jay
1: Inslee's plan to offer $1,000 bonuses to state workers who get their latest COVID booster is widely unpopular.
6: 57% of Washingtonians do not like the idea, according to a new poll conducted by SurveyUSA. But the Times reports the most opposition came from Republican men. Democrats and female respondents were more open to the idea, though many would prefer a vaccine mandate instead of an incentive. Now, this booster incentive was part of a new labor contract that has been ratified by both the state and the Public Employees Union. Jeff Pogel and Northwest News Radio.
1: Health protections dating back to the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic expire. John Dobertini of Northwest News Radio.
2: Three emergency orders issued by Insurance Commissioner Mike Kreidler are set to lapse when Washington's state of emergency expires on Friday. One ordered health insurance to waive copays and deductibles for COVID-19 testing. Another protected consumers from surprise bills for lab fees and medically necessary diagnostic testing. A third covered COVID-19 counseling. A press release from the insurance commissioner offered no explanation or if new protections might be added. The state of emergency also included Included early prescription refills and guaranteed doctor access if an insurance company did not have enough medical providers in its network. John Lobertini. Northwest News Radio.
1: Hospitals seeing a rise in the number of children admitted with RSV, a respiratory virus that most adults can tolerate. We had a story found in the Washington Post that this virus hospitalizes 58,000 children under five every year, and cases are spiking ahead of an expected surge in flu and COVID cases. Ben Brosh of the Washington Post, sharing this with Northwest News Radio. And what makes RSV so serious for young children, and what makes it so much worse than a common cold?
0: So the thing about RSV that is interesting is, uh, specifically for young kids, is um, part of it is is the game of physics. You have um, a smaller airway when you're younger, and so when it gets inflamed, it, it cuts off that much more oxygen. Our, you know, throats, as we grow, they get bigger, and so it's just less oxygen and, and just less movement for them. And adults um, are able to deal with it because they have stronger immune systems and because you know they're just they're larger airways. Um, the reason this is so bad, it can spread very easily, like the common cold. But um, it's a it's a matter of seasonality, and that that is part of of why it is uh, so bad this year.
4: And one of the concerning things to me, I've I've got it two-year-olds, so we're still kind of within this, uh, this danger zone for young kids, um, is how a parent is supposed to know if it's RSV or if it's, you know, a, a cold or flu or, or COVID. Are there, are there signature symptoms with RSV?
0: Um, so it, I had one uh, doctor say, um, just by looking at someone, it is uh, clinically impossible, I believe was the phrase he used. Um, there are a lot of similarities between this and other respiratory uh, viruses. But the thing you're going to want to look for is um, a struggle to breathe, right? That's going to get any parent's attention. So if you see um, pulling or, or, or tugging um, of, of the skin, as dramatic as it sounds, really trying their hardest um, to breathe, that's going to be a cause for concern. And um, no matter what it is that they have going on, that's you're going to want to get uh, medical attention. There are uh, rapid antigen tests, um, like for COVID, but... We don't have them for at home. So you can get tested specifically to find out if it's RSV at um, a medical center of some way.
4: Why is there such a a spike in this this year? Because we've spent three years now learning about viruses thanks to COVID-19 and the way that they can evolve and become more virulent. Is that what's happening here or is it something else?
0: Uh, You know, knowledge is power, and people took a lot of um, what doctors and experts say is the correct, corrective action, which is to um, distance yourselves, wear a mask, be safe. Um, But because of that, um, as I think everyone anecdotally knows, folks are getting more sick. Um, We put ourselves in these bubbles like we were supposed to, um, but it has weakened our immune systems. And think about if you're a three-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, two-year-old like you have, uh, they've only ever known a world in the pandemic, Um, And so their immune systems are far weaker um, because of it. Again, good that they have not interacted with COVID, but they just haven't been able to build up a tolerance to a lot of other viruses that are around.
4: And unfortunately, no vaccination option right now against RSV. You can read much more about this online uh, in Ben's reporting at WashingtonPost.com from Ben Brash.
1: Protecting your home from climate threats. And light rail is about to get louder. These stories and much more are just ahead. Right now, the concept of seeing your doctor through a computer screen isn't new. But during the pandemic, telehealth enjoyed a renaissance of epic proportions. And we're hearing now the medical community is taking the concept a step further.
8: You or someone in your house have likely experienced a telehealth visit where a doctor or nurse walks you through a medical appointment you'd normally have in person, only they're on a screen. A Northwest hospital is now taking this concept to the next level, a move prompted by overrun beds at the height of COVID. And it's
11: really important right now because, as you mentioned, there is a shortage of hospital beds. uh, And this program really got off the ground during the COVID pandemic to help find room for for the extra patients that were showing up.
8: Dr. Darren Malinowski is part of the Oregon Health and Science University team behind TeleHospital. Patients convalesce at home in their own beds and are connected to hospital staff via a tablet. It allows us to
11: reach patients really where they're at and have them receive care in the comfort of their home, and outcomes can actually be better sometimes.
8: He tells KOIN.com there are several
11: applications. We're finding new ways to have patients who might be already in the hospital and transferred home early to finish their hospital stay and get used to being at home before they're actually discharged.
9: It
0: was unbelievable. I received excellent care and never felt alone.
8: Leslie recently experienced telehospital care.
0: I had the freedom and comforts of staying at home. I didn't have to get a pet sitter and I could make my own
8: meals. And patients are more
11: mobile, they're more comfortable, and they have fewer readmissions because when you think about it, you're sort of testing them in their home environment before discharge, and then the care team leaves and the patient stays home. So you've sort of already proven that they're going to do well after discharge. The list of
8: perks appears long. What about the risks?
11: It doesn't work for all patients. And
8: hospital staff has to seriously evaluate whose care can be monitored from home safely and whose cannot. There are likely liability issues that have kept telehospital care from spreading too quickly. But for the patients it does work for, Malinowski says this very well could be the future of hospital care without actually having the physical building.
11: Capacity is endless. We don't have to build any new buildings to be able to reach patients in their home. And so we're learning which patients do better in the program and expanding how many we can apply it to.
8: Brian
1: Calvert, Northwest News Radio. I'm Mark Christopher. You're listening to Northwest News This Week, ending for the week of October 29th. We're back after this.
0: This is Northwest News This Week.
1: hefty raise and more public oversight just two of the big ticket items in a new contract for king county law enforcement
6: over the next three years deputies and sergeants will be getting a 20 percent raise union president mike Mansonera says it's simple supply and demand as so many have left the force we are down 110 bodies Right now, we're not as bad as
5: SPD, obviously.
6: But with a big raise comes added transparency. The Office of Law Enforcement Oversight now has independent subpoena power and the authority to conduct a full outside investigation into any use of force. The contract must still be ratified by the King County Council. Jeff Podula, Northwest News Radio.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Yakima County prosecutors have dropped their case against a convicted rapist whose appeal was repeatedly delayed because of the backing at the State Patrol Crime Lab. Here's Carleen Johnson of Northwest
9: News. Bradley Denton was convicted in early 2020 for choking and raping a woman in April 2018. He appealed, but instead of hearing the case, the Division Three court ordered that the case be dismissed with prejudice because prosecutors did not aggressively push the crime lab to process DNA evidence more quickly. The concern for prosecutors now all over the state is the ruling could cause additional cases to be scrapped. Now, State Patrol spokesman Chris Loftus tells the Yakima Herald. The agency recognizes how serious the situation was and the lab prioritizes testing if detectives or prosecutors urgently need the results. He says in Denton's case, once that request came in, they had a result in six weeks. Loftus says they're now meeting the state requirement to process new rape kits within 45 days while also clearing the backlog. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
1: If a trade group that promotes bacon sales funds a study that finds bacon cures COVID, you're probably going to raise an eyebrow. Even if a delicious piece of bacon could put a stop to the pandemic, that study faces a serious conflict of interest. A peer-reviewed journal found serious conflicts of interest within the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics.
4: Public Health Nutrition is the name of this journal. What did they publish?
7: So they actually published a study that reviewed documents showing that the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics had, between 2011 and 2017, taken millions and millions of dollars from the world's biggest junk food producers.
4: And up to this point, what kind of standing had uh, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics had within healthcare and, and healthy eating communities?
7: So it's quite a prominent and influential organization. You know, it trains dietitians and other nutritional professionals, and it helps to shape federal government's dietary guidelines and health and nutrition policies. But for many years, according to this study, that had been taking sponsorship money and other financial contributions from, you know, food companies, big food companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi. You know, sugar producers, sugar industry, you know, the beef and dairy industries. And according to the study, you know, they determined that there were some serious conflicts of of interest there. And that the Academy had also even purchased stocks in in some of these companies like Pepsi and and Nestle. Uh,
4: As far as I can tell, there hasn't been a time when the Academy said snap into a Slim Jim, even if they're getting money from Slim Jim. What's their response been today?
7: The Academy has long been criticized for sort of financial ties to the food industry over the years, and it's been uh, criticized for at times and accused of avoiding taking stances that might upset some of its funders. You know, for example, avoiding endorsing or promoting soda taxes, for example, or doing other things that could sort of be seen as uh, friendly to the food industry. Uh, The Academy says that, you know, a lot of its uh, sponsorships then relationships with some of these more questionable companies like like Pepsi and uh, Coke and Hershey, for example, ended uh, many years ago. But um, you know that they have very stringent guidelines on who they will work with now, um, and that their sponsors and uh, supporters have to have a mission that's you know and sell products that are broadly aligned with the academy's uh, mission and, and vision. Now, as far so updated their guidelines.
4: And as far as the the group that obtained this information in the first place, this was this was a really interesting turn to read in in your reporting at WashingtonPost dot com. They've long been at odds with the academy, and where did they get their funding sources?
7: Yeah, so that's the thing. Is this group that actually you know obtained the documents? They filed freedom of information requests to get uh, emails and thousands of pages of documents from a former academy president. Uh, and this group is called U.S. Rights Know. And uh, they do a lot of uh, investigative um, sort of uh, digging, and they've been at odds with the food industry. Um, And this, you know, group, they publish, they say they're transparent, they publish their list of donors and supporters on the website. But, you know, uh, people have raised questions about um, some of their donors and supporters, including groups like the Organic Consumers Association, um, which uh, is probably one of the largest funders of this group. And, you know, that group, the Organic Consumers Association, has had ties to the anti-vaccine movement, for example, um, and they're very opposed to GMO labeling and, and some other controversial issues.
4: Anahan O'Connor with us on Northwest News Radio, reporter for The Washington Post. You can find all of his work online at WashingtonPost.com.
1: Taylor Van Seis of Northwest News Radio. Light rail just got louder. It's an effort to help keep you out of harm's way. According
8: to its own statistics, sound transit trains have collided with cars or pedestrians on average once a month since the first line opened back in 2009. The agency is looking at 53 different things they can do to lower this number, and one of the items on the list is making the train's warning bells a little louder. During a six-month pilot project, most trains, especially those that run on city streets, will have the volume on warning bells go from 80 decibels, like an alarm clock, to 90 decibels, more like a hairdryer. The Times took a recorder out into the Soto train yard where 80 decibels sounds like, and from the same distance, here's 90 decibels. One of the main reasons for turning up the bells, a massive increase in the number of people using earphones. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio.
1: In the moments ahead, Ryan Harris of Northwest News Radio with an Army Iraq War veteran who says you don't have to fight to help in the effort. We'll get to that story. As right now, we're seeing more than half of American homeowners have spent money to protect their homes from climate threats. Those are the findings of a new report. Seattle-based
8: Redfin found 58% have spent money to protect their homes from climate risks, one-third spending $5,000 or more. Digging deeper, more than one in three have an insurance policy covering flooding, which is a higher share than other climate risks. In Florida, the report shows 40% of homeowners have invested in making their homes more resilient to hurricanes and other tropical storms, which is nearly triple the national share. Of course, parts of that state were recently battered by Hurricane Ian, which left behind billions of dollars in damage. Bill O'Neill, Northwest News Radio.
1: Northwest News this week, ending for the week of October 29th. We have this program every week at this very time here on AM 1000 and FM 97.7. Also as a podcast for your convenience at nwnewsradio.com. We're back after this.
0: Northwest This Week continues.
1: An Army Iraq War veteran from our area, spending months side by side with Ukrainian soldiers on the front lines of their war with Russia, sharing that you don't have to fight to help them. Ryan Harris of Northwest News Radio.
12: Carl Larson says in his five months in Ukraine, four on the front lines in the International Legion of Defense of Ukraine, they were often short on supplies, like generators or even four-by-four vehicles. But he says one thing the men, and some women, were never short on was morale. We weren't happy about the idea, but we were prepared to die if need be, and quite a few of us did die.
8: I saw that up close and personal.
12: Larson tells me he felt the need to go to make sure we don't end up with a war fought on our own shores. And he says the vast majority there with him felt it was the right thing to do for humanity. It was enough to make me want to cry sometimes because there was no cowardice in that entire unit. There was no fear. But since Larson says they still struggle to get generators to charge their radios, among other short supplies, he's helping to lead an effort you can help by volunteering or donating. With a pipeline he says ensures those supplies do make it to the soldier's at the front ryan harris northwest news radio back here at home an artist here in the
1: northwest offering another tribute to queen elizabeth ii and it's a salute aimed at a very specific audience let's give a listen artists have painted her poets have written about her and musicians have been inspired by her darren davis
8: he's created a comic book about her Davis is publisher of Tidal Wave Comics, based in Portland. He's just put out its newest title called Tribute, Queen Elizabeth II.
13: You know, it's it's kind of like a boiled down version
8: of The Crown, maybe? This new title is part of a series Davis put out about people you've definitely heard of, including the late Carrie Fisher.
13: We did a tribute on her. Uh, we, ended, we got to work with her originally on the comic book, which was kind of neat. Uh, we just did an Olivia Newton John one, which is You Break My Heart. She was like my favorite celebrity ever. Um, we also just did Loretta Lynn, uh, which was kind of weird because the book came out the day after she passed. So, and we were going to work with her on that, and um, we were actually going to go meet with her.
8: There's a comic book about the life of the queen? How in the world? This one's actually a little bit different than
13: the other ones that we've done in the past. It's written by a guy, his name is John Bloodell, Um, and he actually used to work for Margaret Thatcher, and uh, he was like an economist for her. And so, it kind of gives you a little more insight with it, so it has a lot of, um, Margaret Thatcher's relationship with the Queen, but it also, uh, we talk about it literally in her 96 years of life.
8: 30 colorful pages about the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, including some factoids you may not have previously known were related.
13: Like the horrible year that she had in 1992 where Prince Charles separated and, you know, Princess uh, Anne divorces and Prince, Char- uh, Prince Andrew separates. And there's like so much in that one year. And Winter Castle even caught fire during that year as well. Well.
8: Davis tells KOIN.com he realizes a comic book about the Queen isn't going to appeal to everyone. And he's good with that. And
4: that's
13: definitely for a different demographic, but love comic books. And so it's an illustrated version of her life.
8: And even though his reign is just beginning, a tribute comic to the life of King
1: Charles III is planned for release next year. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Now if you are listened for the entire program, by now it's a, oh wow, I just didn't know. Well there you go, the efforts of all of our staff here at Northwest News Radio and giving you a chance to catch up. Northwest News this week, heard every week at the same time here on Northwest News Radio, AM 1000 and FM 97.7 and as I mentioned, as a podcast at nwnewsradio.com that's where you'll find other favorites like Politicast, LifeBeat, and Puget Sound now. Hey, if you enjoy the program as a podcast, we hope you'll share a rating and review. It's simple, only takes a matter of seconds at Apple podcast i thank you for doing that too northwest news this week produced by bill o'neill editor and tech advisor painter webb on behalf of all of us here in the newsroom of northwest news radio i'm mark christopher thank you for listening and we'll see you next time